Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. Today, I'm going to be talking to my friend Chris Slattery, who runs the New York City Clinic Network on EMC Pregnancy Frontlines. And he runs a series of a crisis pregnancy centers in America's abortion capital. Most of you will remember uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo lighting up the New York skyline in pink after legalizing abortion all the way up until birth in, in January of 2019. Well, Chris Slattery has been on the ground in New York City for decades working to save babies from abortionists, while New York City boasts an abortion rate of double the national average. So just to give you a little bit of background on Chris before we jump into it, because he's going to be telling us his story on the show here. He runs these centers across uh, New York City, and he's done a whole bunch of, of really incredible things, including launching the first mobile ultrasound clinic in a major U.S. city on the streets of the South Bronx. Save the Storks was actually inspired by Chris Slattery's work in New York City. He's developed a program to be first responders to pregnant women in crisis with free pregnancy testing, on-site ultrasounds, pro-life counseling, uh, nearby subsidized prenatal care, and on-site adoption consultations. Also, referrals for housing, legal aid, and material assistance. He really has a comprehensive approach to abortion circumstances. And he's set up not only a, a series of, of pregnancy help centers in New York City, but he's also worked to build a telephone referral network in Texas and San Antonio and Austin, uh, also Washington, D.C., Arlington, Baltimore, Cleveland, Philadelphia, Detroit, and Miami. So in the pastoral arm of the pro-life movement, which deals with post-abortion care, which deals with pastoral help and, and, and essentially saving babies by providing the means and dissuading women from having them. Uh, Chris Slattery really has been uh, has been a titan of the movement. And I first met him back in in 2013 or 2014, pardon me, at a conference. And some of the stories he has uh, about working to save babies in 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 the abortion capital are are both incredible and and sobering. And so oh, just before I, I jump into that, I do want to direct uh, your attention uh, to LifeSiteNews.com where you can check out the spring campaign that launches this week. LifeSite, as you might know, recently got shut down by YouTube, uh, the main LifeSite channel. But they are fundraising now to create a new live news studio, host videos on their own platform, and invest in all the necessary equipment they need to make that happen. So please do head over to lifesitenews.com if you're interested in supporting the pro-life and pro-family work that is being done there on a daily basis. And with that, here's my conversation with Chris Slattery. <laughs> Chris, maybe you could start off by just telling our listeners how you got involved with the pro-life movement to begin with. Well, I would say it would be coming back to my faith in my early 20s while I was working in the advertising world. I am from New York. I was born in Manhattan, raised on Staten Island, went to college in Boston and England, and uh, followed in my father's footsteps in the advertising business. And then... Um, I'd say about 1978, 79, I started getting involved in, in the movement. And um, my first baby was rescued, uh, and which changed my life in about, about 40 years ago, about 1981. Uh, and once I discovered that you can actually save a baby by turning a mother around from an abortion plan, I mean, that changed my life. 
What what were the specifics of that first story, if you don't mind telling us? Yeah, I was on my way to work in a three-piece suit and briefcase, 7.30 in the morning. I lived in Midtown East uh, 31st Street. And I didn't know a, a block away from me was the biggest abortion clinic in Manhattan. It was on Park Avenue and 32nd Street. A woman called me over who was a pro-life Catholic uh, in front of this big plaza of this big 50-story office building. And I, uh, she talked me into trying sidewalk counseling. At first, I thought she was crazy. Then I saw a, a black mother and, and daughter coming up to the building. And all I know is I can't remember exactly what I said to this couple, the mother bringing her 15-year-old daughter in for an abortion. All I know is six months later, I was holding a baby girl to that 15-year-old mother in my arms in her apartment in the um, Crown Heights section of Brooklyn in an all-black neighborhood and um, changed my mind about, uh, you know, just that pro-life was just about protest. And I understood then that you could actually rescue a child. You could make a difference. So how did you end up uh, leaving the advertising business and, and now you run crisis pregnancy centers in, in, in America's abortion capital? What, how, how did that transition take place? Well, that didn't happen overnight. Um, <laughs> about 82, 83, I started thinking, well, maybe we should have uh, pregnancy centers in New York City. I've discovered there were no pro-life pregnancy centers in the whole city of New York. And I also discovered New York was the abortion capital of America. At that time, I uh, studied it, and there were about 115,000 abortions a year just in New York City. Yeah, wow. I also met Dr. Bernard Nathanson, became his friend, got to meet Father Richard John Newhouse, at that time a Lutheran pastor. Uh, in 84, John Cardinal O'Connor came on the scene as the Archbishop of New York. Uh, you know, we had President Trump. I mean, uh Reagan. Uh, we had a lot of different, very influ influential voices. John Paul II, Mother Teresa, a powerhouse of pro-life leaders are out there in the world. And a number of them were in New York. Father Benedict Rochelle, as well as I said, uh, Newhouse and, and O'Connor. And then I got to meet John Paul II in New York and Mother Teresa. All and and Nathanson. So all of these people influenced me mm -hmm. and gave me encouragement uh, when I decided to open up a pregnancy center in '84. But I was still in advertising, and I right. would be for six more years. Right. So what made you? Uh, what was the moment where you decided I'm going to do this full time now? I'm going to take the plunge. I'm going to work full time on the pro life movement. Well, in March of. Uh, 1990, and exactly today, March 17th, 2021, exactly uh, 31 years ago today, I was fired from a big advertising job, even though that month I had sold an, a million dollars worth of advertising space in a business magazine. I was fired because I'd become a very big uh, public operation rescue leader and supposed operator of a fake abortion clinic, according to the uh, New York media. Right. And so I decided that night, literally 31 years ago tonight, 
I decided to go full time after having spent uh, three three jail stays with Operation Rescue. I became a leader of Operation Rescue in 87, 88, 89, 90. And then I got this massive lawsuit um, served on me at my office. It was about a, a foot thick of papers that a NARAL representative waited in the waiting room and I would sneak, sneak out the back door of the office <laughs> until they finally uh, you know, served this office receptionist and that was considered service. And then they, basically I got fired and, and decided to uh, burn my boats to the advertising business and go full time. And so I, I started uh, with some lawyers, the Legal Center for Defense of Life, and eventually transitioned by 93 to running expectant mother care full-time as a so-called paid position. But I, I went into debt for years. Uh, I had our third child on the way. We lived in Manhattan. I went from like a $75,000 a year salary back in 1990 to like 24000 a year. I was borrowing money to just stay alive. And it was a tough struggle in the beginning. My wife went back to work after our fourth child. She became a school teacher. And then uh, that helped us get, uh, eventually get uh, insurance coverage, medical insurance. We had two of our children on Medicaid. We were so poor. Uh, when with you know, my wife had to apply for Medicaid for the, for the delivery of our two, the, our third and fourth child. And, and so we struggled. I learned how to raise money. And then we expanded our pregnancy centers over time. Uh, the first one in Manhattan, then one in the South Bronx across the street from Planned Parenthood. Then in the, the downtown um, Brooklyn building where Planned Parenthood is. So, We've been in the South Bronx for 26 years across the street from Planned Parenthood. We've been in the same building as Planned Parenthood in Brooklyn for 22 years. And we're around the corner from one abortion clinic in Queens and another location and across the street from a, a second place. So we've always located near abortion clinics. Our original Manhattan Pregnancy Center shared a wall with their thrift store. We couldn't get across the street from the um, abortion clinic because Planned Parenthood was across the street from a Catholic church in an apartment house. Right. They eventually moved and bought their own building. Uh, the only building they actually own in New York City, all of their other spaces leased. So how getting from this sort of impoverished state to, to opening and operating crisis pregnancy centers, how did you manage to get together the funds to launch this uh, operation that now, how many clinics do you have currently? Well, three, I've had as many as a dozen. Um, we've been, we've sustained five different New York state attorney general legal attacks, uh, four or five New York city legal attacks we have been buffered and battered and harassed with lawsuits and efforts to cripple and shut us down over the last 35 years. Uh, we've found uh, foundations and donors uh, to support us. Our budget's under a million dollars. We still struggle. Uh, we've made it through the pandemic with never closing our offices. We stayed open every single week the last year. 
We had three of our staff get COVID. We replaced them. We kept open. We stayed the course and, and managed to rescue many, many children. Last spring of 2020 uh, was a horrific flood of women looking for abortions. Planned Parenthood even closed their South Bronx location across the street from us for three months due to COVID. And we stayed open and we are still open. And um, fortunately, uh, over the years, we sustained ourselves by recruiting a lot of volunteers, but we have paid staff. But we started an intern program in the late uh, 2000, first decade of 2000. About 2007, we started importing interns from Europe, especially from Spain. Okay. We've had over 400 interns come from around the world, about 300 from Spain over the years. We bought a house uh, about 13 years ago that we house them in in the Bronx, although the last year has been rough because we couldn't get anybody to travel to us internationally. Right. We right, hope right. to get interns back on track from Spain this summer. They're very good for us because they are obviously fluent in Spanish and we have a lot of Spanish speaking clients we need to reach. They're very good um, Catholics and, and pro-lifers and they want the experience of living in New York. Of course, living in New York in the last year has been a hellhole, Right. Um, and very violent and dangerous and not fun. No entertainment, None of uh, museums were closed. The theaters are still not reopened. You have to have a negative COVID test to, to go watch basketball indoors. I'm not sure if they'll do that for baseball this summer. It's been rough. Uh, many, many, uh, it's estimated 300,000 people moved out of New York City. 300,000. Oh, that's insane. And, 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 mean, that's crazy. and, and they're coming back. And most of them. And uh, so, I mean, New York is still a city of 8 million, uh, and it's still got a lot of abortion-determined women. And rather than a baby boom, there's been an abortion boom. But the statistics are years behind, so you cannot really get current statistics as to how many abortions are being performed any one year. You have to wait three years to get the information. It's pathetic. Now, how does how does what you do work practically? I remember... I think the first time I met you would have been in 2014 in California at the uh, International Pro-Life Youth Conference. And we were we were picked up from the airport at the same time. And you'd be answering your phone and and, and talking about abortion services and trying to get women to come and, and talk to you guys so you could dissuade them from having an abortion rather than going to an abortion clinic. So what is sort of like the step-by-step -step process uh, that you guys utilize at, at EMC to dissuade women from having abortions and to, and, and to persuade them to choose life? Well, we advertise free abortion alternatives, and it's kind of a nebulous term. And so most of the women think, oh, that means I'm going to get a free abortion. So, well, most of the women, two thirds have insurance coverage, and we offer them an evaluation when they come in. That means we'll measure how far along they are in the pregnancy, a rule out ectoptic pregnancy and miscarriage. We'll measure how many weeks they are. So we get them in on that basis, that this is the this is uh, on this visit, there's an evaluation and a consultation and, and initial testing. So with that being offered, we will, we will bring in on average about six or seven women a day. Some days it's 10 or 11 or 12, and some days it's two or three. But 
we'll get them in and um, sometimes sidewalk counselors bring mothers to us from their efforts at abortion clinics right near us. And uh, we, um, we have ultrasound available every single day. We've been doing ultrasound since 86. We were the first big city pregnancy center to use ultrasounds. Dr. Bernard Nathanson was involved with us, the uh, former abortion king. There's a new movie out about Roe v. Wade and his part in that movie is prominent. He was the a New York abortion king and I became his friend and sponsor into the Catholic church. So he got involved with us early as we started using ultrasound. That was what turned him around. That's what turned Abby Johnson around of Planned Parenthood infamy in Texas. So we use this combination of uh, counseling skills, educational videos and DVDs and ultrasound to work very hard on um, persuading these abortion determined women. They're harder and harder to persuade. We're such a violent mm. culture today. Uh, people are inured to violence. They're used to it. And, and so we are um, always struggling to get through to the minds and hearts of women. You can get them into the office. You can get them to take an ultrasound. But if anybody that thinks so, it's night, all they have to do is see the ultrasound, they're mistaken. Many, many women have ultrasounds and still go ahead and get abortions. And have you have you seen that? So, because you've been doing doing this work in New York City for for as long as I've been alive, have you seen a notable shift in in the level of callousness or in the level of determination to get an abortion over the last thirty years? Well, the numbers of women seeking abortions are down at, across the country, so the absolute numbers are down. That's partly because the number of pregnancies are down, and. Uh, but the determination of women to get an abortion under any circumstances has always been strong here. We've, we've been the abortion capital for, since the, for 50 years. We legalized abortion uh, in 1970, 71, you know, 51 years ago, July 1st, 1970. So we've we've aborted over six million children in New York City. New York City alone, wow. Yeah, six million. About ten percent of the American abortion totals for America. So what is it about New York City? Um, because it's it's callous town. It's a callous, heartless town where people are uh, very adamant uh, there if they're uh you know, for some, they believe a, a child is going to put me over the edge, going to put me over the the mental and financial edge. And they they have almost nobody telling them don't do it. Churches are silent largely about abortion. And of course, many people don't go to church anymore and they don't hear any any pro-life messages. Uh, your conscience can be easily hardened with all the rap music, the garbage culture, movies, videos, uh, as I said, bad music influences your conscience, deadens it to sin. Uh, and people will say, you know, I know I'm killing a baby. I want to do it anyway. Right. People think, oh, they all they have to do is know the facts. No, sorry. 
No amount of facts are alone enough to turn a mother around who's abortion determined. Well, you've also seen you've also seen thousands of of babies get saved. So, if the facts alone aren't enough, um, what what is enough in situations where they seem determined, but you do manage to change their mind? Prayer, prayer, um, God's grace uh, that does is available to them. They have to correspond to it. So we have to we try to pray with these mothers and and give them hope, and and yes, offer them help and housing, um, supplies, uh, free insurance coverage arrangements. We are, ultimately, it's, it's a matter of the will and, and it's not just, you know, financial and physical support. It's, you've got to want to be a mother. You've got, or you've got to want to choose adoption very courageously, very selflessly. Uh, very rare that we see adoptions arranged today. Very few women wanted to go through with that. They're, they're inculturated to uh, feel shame for choosing abort adoption. Right. There's no shame in choosing abortion. You're a hero. You're a heroine. You know, choose so- adoption. You're a selfish person, et cetera. It, it's upside down. Like 10, 10% of the nation's total of abortions is is really insane. And I know a lot of listeners are going to be trying to grapple with, okay, you got a country of over 300 million people, 10% of the abortion total is in a, in a single, in a single city, not even just a single state. Um, what does that look like on the ground? Like are, are multiple abortions common? Oh yeah. Uh, probably uh, 10% of women have had six, seven, eight abortions. Oh, wow. In New York, you have multiple aborters. We, you know, you almost could get miles or points uh, on your abortion plan. I'm sorry for sounding sarcastic, but, you know, we once had a woman looking for abortion number 27. No kidding. Yeah, it's sick. Um, And there, you know, with certain types of people, there's just no turning them around. We, or, or you cannot get some of them into the office. You know, many want a same-day abortion. And it's hard to talk those women into coming into a pregnancy center uh, because you can't lie to them. can't tell them you can come on in and we'll give you an abortion today. Right. No, we can't do that. We won't do that. Uh, we have a nurse and a, and a ultrasound tech in every day, which – so the – the ultrasounds are supervised. We've battled New York City over laws. They tried to regulate us out of business, and we've managed to stay open. We've won a lot of battles in court for free speech. They don't really have buffer zones around abortion clinics in New York City, uh, though they, the state just won a case against uh, in federal court against a group of sidewalk counselors in Queens, New York. This case goes back some years, but uh, the Court of Appeals just help, held a conviction of um, of a, a group of uh, Protestant uh, sidewalk counselors called with with a Church of the Rock. It's called in um, at, that was the case was surrounding their actions at Choices Abortion Clinic, the largest mill in Queens, New York. And uh, but otherwise, there are no sidewalk counseling uh, buffer zones. And so we have free speech. We can go right up to the doors, although we usually hold back a bit. 
you know, we've led sidewalk counseling efforts. I started on the sidewalk, as I said, with my opening story 40 years ago. So I have a heart for the sidewalk counseling. And I don't believe you just wait until women call your office to come in. You go get them if you can. Uh, it takes a lot of uh, courageous people to do sidewalk counseling at all the different abortion clinics we have here all over the place. Now, a, a great fear I have that will cripple the pregnancy centers and pro-life outreach if Biden allows our federal drug administration, the FDA, to legalize over-the-counter abortion pills, which right now they have to be obtained inside of a clinic. Right. But if you can order them online or order them in a, at a pharmacy, there's no, no, no need to go to a clinic to get them. No need to go to a pregnancy center. No, no, no need to call anybody. Just walk into your pharmacy. And if that happens, we're going to see a great decline in the pro-life effectiveness. But I think Planned Parenthood doesn't want that. And they're going to fight and lobby against this because they know that if their customers don't have to call them, they won't go, they won't go to the Planned Parenthoods. Right. Because right. unless the Planned Parenthood, well, maybe Planned Parenthood will, will be able to dispense over-the-counter walk-in uh, medications, maybe even mail order. Maybe they'll have a, ma a Planned Parenthood mail order business, but their fees will have to be lower. It'll be price competitive. And Planned Parenthood is always about making a big profit on abortion and birth control. So that'll be really interesting. Know. My actually. guess is they're going to be opposed to it because it's going to cut into their business. So then they uh, do one uh, out of are, three of America's abortions. So are we, are you saying though that you're going to have like NARAL pro-choice America groups like that on the opposite side of an issue as Planned Parenthood? Possibly. Yeah. Interesting. Inter I, I know that a lot of independent abortionists hate Planned Parenthood because Planned Parenthood has been creating such an effective abortion monopoly and intentionally goes to areas where there's independent abortion clinics and sort of like undercuts their prices and puts them out of business. So, yeah, I guess making a killing killing is is, is a rough life sometimes. But it's interesting because like New York City is considered to be one of the greatest cities in the world, right? It's considered to be the cultural capital of all this. Um, what is what is New York City been like under Andrew Cuomo for the abortion debate? Well, strangely, you know, in 2019, he um, pushed through, or no, wait, no, 2020. No, 20, it was 19. No, February, yeah. 20, February 2019. Yeah, well, it was January 22nd. 19. He pushed through the abortion expansion bill, which technically legalized abortion through birth. But we can't find abortion clinics that will do third trimester abortions in New York State. And the, in fact, the abortion lobby, they're, they're wringing their hands over it because I guess the smarter doctors in New York State realize the great medical and legal risks to killing their patients accidentally in third trimester abortions. So no one's flocking uh, to New York for third trimester abortions like we thought was going to happen. They're still being done in New Mexico and Maryland and Kansas, strangely, but not in New York. And you have a lot of major hospitals here that could do them, but I'm f I find women that are told and they call us up looking for a third trimester abortion, and they've been turned down by everybody.
Planned why, Parenthood won't do them. Why is that? As I said, they're legal and and the legal risk of of botching the abortion and the women dying. And then they've got major lawsuits on their hands. So it's a very, very great medical risk, medical and re- legal risk. These are very dangerous procedures. So when you look at what's going on in New York, would you say that the abortion rate is so high? You said it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's callous. It, it's a hard ass town. But when I, when I, when I think of like economic circumstances and granted New York city, um, like other, some other big cities are incredibly expensive, but there has to be something that makes you New York unique when it comes to abortion, because you've got, that's, that's, that's also true. in you know, Los Angeles and San Francisco and Washington, DC, like the same economic circumstances exist elsewhere. So is it just, that you, New York is uniquely callous, and if if that's the case, what makes it so? Do you have any sense of of, of what makes New York different? Well, we have no pro. We have uh, like these other cities. We have no pro life politicians, or uh, we we don't have in the Latino and the and the black communities. We don't have any outspokenly pro life leadership. There's no voice for the unborn that's, that's preaching. You have the Catholic newspapers, which nobody reads. And, you know, you'll occasionally hear something from the Archbishop of New York, but there's no steady, steady drumbeat of justice for the unborn children here. Now, we have made progress for most of the first 40 years of legalized abortion in New York, we saw, you know, from about 1970 to about 2010, we saw a 41% abortion rate, 41% of all wow. babies in New York City that were not miscarried were aborted. But that's gone down in the last 10 years to about 32, 33%. So we've seen the abortion ratio go down. It's still double the national average, but we've made improvement here. And the number of abortions at their high of 115,000 per year are now down to below 60,000 per year. Okay. Which is good. So the rates are down, the numbers are down, but it's still bad. I mean, on in the average, every year for the last 50, there have been more black abortions than live births of black women, which is atrocious, of course. I mean, you know, you want to talk about justice. Was Well, where are the justice warriors in Black Lives Matters and all these other black justice groups uh, decrying the incredibly high abortion rates amongst blacks? Yeah. I mean, we're we're serving a primarily a black and Latina population in our pregnancy centers. Right. And we're, this is from the beginning of most of my staff are black and Latinas and they're, you know, they're, they're, they struggle to reach these, their sisters in this. Uh, There's so much callousness. It's, it's very hard to break through. It's gotten harder and harder. The videos don't make as much of a difference the ultrasounds don't make as much of a difference. So we're trying to resort more to prayer than ever. And um, 
but it takes a long time to develop a very successful, holy, uh, prayerful counselor who gets through to these people. It takes a right. long time to develop the right people. Final question for you would be, what do you see uh, the future of the pro-life movement in New York City being? Well, I believe we're going to become a mecca for more and more people to come here and try and help from the outside. We saw, for instance, a group from South Carolina, uh, from Charlotte, uh, no, North Carolina, uh, called Love Life. They actually open operations here and they're staffing sidewalk counseling from a basically a North Carolina-based group. Uh, I, I see a resurgence of my intern program being bringing people from around the world to come and work here, train here, live here, uh, do pro-life work here. I see more involvement of Black and Hispanic uh, uh, members of the community in fighting abortion. Um, I don't see a revival of outspoken churches. I don't see it coming from our New York City churches as much. Mm. I see us being helped from people from the outside. Well, Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. I see trouble on the horizon from the Biden administration, which could impact us across the country. Yeah, I know. You're right about that. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. This was uh, sobering, but fascinating. Okay, Jonathan, it's been my pleasure. Thank you, and God bless you. God bless you, too. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Chris Slattery. Thank you so much for joining uh, us this week. We really do appreciate you listening. We do hope that you're encouraged, inspired, and informed by these podcasts. And if you want to check out uh, next week's show or go back and listen to past shows, do head over to LifeSightNews.com. Click on the podcast tab. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thank you so much for joining us this week. And we do hope you'll join us again next week.